Lots to talk about, Will. It's it's a ton to cover today, and I just I put it all in there because it's just so much to uh, decompress. Jam packed things that are happening in the world, in the world of technology, in the world of gaming. The top story today: we have a hands-on video. It's actually a live stream with the new PlayStation Five controller, courtesy of Jeff Keeley, and he was given the opportunity. Uh, not only to have the new controller, but also to play a title. It's kind of a, a little demo. I don't even know what the name of it is. This uh, it's like a it's going to be built in to every single PlayStation Five console. It's kind of you know get to know your system type of mini game. Now in the past those have been maybe like a ten minute thing. Apparently this one it'll actually take you a couple of hours to progress through. And this little demo showcases some of the technology inside of the controller and the PlayStation 5. So it's kind of, it's one of the best looks we've had so far. And in this video, he demonstrates the new controller, compares it to the old controller, talks about some of the differences, talks about what he's excited about. And I mean, he physically has the controller. It's a, it's a hands-on video. So we're getting a lot closer here to the actual launch of the device, the, the pre-order the device. And now we have physical hardware showing up with third parties to test out and to check out. And a couple of observations, a couple of things that he recognized with the controller. They really refined the haptic feedback. They, they, they took it to another level from where it was previously. Obviously, there's been a rumble thing in these controllers for a really long time. And the problem, the problem was it wasn't all that useful it was rumble or no rumble in most cases and they they've made it a little bit more sophisticated over the years but this one apparently you can feel the difference between sand and various textures based on really fine-tuned granular type of vibrations in the haptic and now of course this is my this is my interpretation based on what he says in the in the live stream which is now a video you can go watch the whole thing uh, also, they refined the speaker. I don't know if you're familiar with the previous version of the DualShock controller, but there's a little speaker in it. And this new one apparently refines things further. It's a little bit better and and uh, adds an extra layer of depth to the gameplay in the demo. And then the probably the coolest thing is on the triggers, where apparently the triggers have programmable resistance depending on what they're doing in the game. So, and this again comes through a sort of type of haptics where let's say you're pulling a bow and arrow, there may be more resistance on the trigger and there may be different resistant resistance points on the trigger as you pull it. So a lot of cool interactive developments. It does come at the expense of being slightly heavier than the previous version, but he says not all that much different. And in fact, he says he's kind of a fan of it because... It makes it feel robust and yep. solid. And, uh, you know, how sometimes you pick something up, it feels more quality if it has a little weight to it. Yes. So that sounds like what he's saying here. This is the biggest departure for Sony in a long time, if you think about it. Because that DualShock situation, sure, they added the touchpad, but the form factor had been so similar for so long. Right, yeah. And so this one has been a bit polarizing. Some people excited for something new. Others saying, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We like what we had. So it still has the DNA and the origin. Of course, the color scheme is different. But it sounds like from a technical perspective, technological perspective, 
there are going to be some improvements in here that could be cool to see how developers utilize those new features. It could be one of those things where a lot of them do, or one of those things where you play the little demo game and it uses all these features. Right. And then it never shows up in an actual title. Yeah. So that could happen as well. But anyway, this is the best look we've had so far at the actual controller. So I recommend you go check out the video for yourself. And there's a little, he holds up a little comparison between the two, which helps you see the scale of this new one comparative to what you're currently used to. Or that picture does the same thing. It's bigger. It's yeah. a bigger controller. Speaking of video games, U.S. video game spending has hit a 10-year high in June. And we're not, <laughs> we're not surprised by this. Huh. I mean, maybe the fact that it's a 10-year high, it's that big of a boom. But we're booming in video games. We're booming in at-home stuff. People are on lockdown. They don't know what to do with themselves. Mm -hmm. So they're gravitating towards video games, as you would. We talked about how Sony's going to pump out almost twice as many PlayStation 5s as they had projected originally. We talked about how Facebook is going to be making more of the Oculus equipment. Now, you're such a big fan of what you're doing. You're playing that Half-Life Alex stuff mm -hmm. in your spare time. Yeah. And great. this is what a lot of people are doing, and it's understandable. So what you end up with is a booming gaming industry. They, uh, the game industry in uh, sales through June reached $6.6 billion on hardware, software, and accessories. It's the highest total for the first six months of the year since spending hit $7 billion a decade ago. Ten-year high, Willie Do. Mm. This is one of those things where something happens in the world, and, and it all seems terrible, but then, well, that really depends where you are, because then uh, somewhere else, on the flip side, someone, somebody wins. Mm -hmm. It seems to always be the case. Human beings, who really knows? So people in the gaming business, they might be trapped at home themselves, but they're selling some video games mm. to people like you. Could be that new that new Last of Us. Yeah. They sold a couple copies. That's that couple sure ain't copies. hurting this bottom line for overall gaming. And you know the craziest part of this record, 6.6 .6 billion or this high in in the last 10 years. Uh by the way, this is a 19% increase compared to a year ago. Uh is that we have new consoles coming out. They're not even out yet. Mm. It's not like anything really major happened other than the lockdown. It's not like we have any uh, hardware, really recent hardware, to drive this particular growth. So then these new consoles come out, and, and look, it's a whole comeback story for the at-home uh, gaming crowd. So uh, I guess it's exciting times to be in that business. Apple launched a brand new mega store, super store, super Apple store in China, and they actually put it in the place of their original store in China in the Beijing region, there's a look at it. That's kind of a nice looking store, wouldn't you say, Will? Yeah, it looks uh, fairly friendly. Yeah, you could walk into a place like that. Oh. Uh, so Apple today will open the entirely new Apple San, San Litton, the next iteration of Apple's first store in China, sitting adjacent to the previous location. So it's not in the exact location of the previous store, but it's across the street. It is opening with the same comprehensive health and safety procedures currently in place across all Apple Store locations. Uh, they put that right in the headline. They're like, look, just because we're opening a new store doesn't mean we're not following the protocol. Mm -hmm. So a mask requirement, temperature checks, and social distancing before entry and inside the store. They just want to get that out of the way in the press release. Right. Uh, the new store features many of Apple's latest retail design updates, including a forum, viewing gallery, and boardroom. The forum will be the future home 
for today at Apple, where the store will host Beijing's greatest artists, musicians, and creatives who will showcase and teach their process. Mm. I mean, I doubt they're going to get the greatest musicians in there. And certainly not right now when you can't have the crowd. Right. But maybe eventually, maybe one day will. Mm -hmm. um, what else can we say about it? Oh, they have some cool energy efficiency stuff beyond, I mean, the thing obviously looks amazing. The store looks amazing. But they're going to have a bunch of solar panels. And I love the way they're integrated on the roof of the thing. They're like embedded so they don't have to sit above. Mm -hmm. There's a picture of it if you scroll back up. There. This one. Yeah, like see how they're flush with the other uh, building materials on the roof there? All right. Anyway, these solar panels power the uh, the entire store that's below it. So that's pretty cool. However, not everybody is happy about this. William Barr is has been criticizing Apple recently. Uh, who is he? He is the attorney general. And in a speech delivered on Thursday, he attacked... A bunch of American tech companies, including and targeting Apple specifically for playing by China's rules. Well, I don't know if you know what that means. So they're giving in? Like well, it's like every time that Apple agrees to delete certain, uh, they deleted a bunch of apps on the App Store at the request of uh, the Chinese government. Hmm. And so people in the U.S. and those that analyze this stuff... I remember when the Hong Kong protests were going on, they took out a certain uh, mapping application that people were using to organize. It was right. controversial, controversial things, okay? Regardless where you land on it, controversial to leave the app, controversial to remove the app. Hmm. So anyway, they're taking heat from, uh, it's just so much focus right now in U.S. politics on anything related to China, isn't it? Yeah including just opening a store. Apple's out here. They're like, hey, we just improved a store. Big, what's the big deal? Yeah, Everything's political now. And then this guy comes out, Attorney General William Barr, and he says uh, Apple is being acquiescent to the Chinese communists. That's his, his words. Everything, these, the language is heating up. Yeah. The language is heating up. You have to admit that. Uh, Apple has long relied on China, not just for manufacturing, but also generating revenue from the App Store for games and obviously iPhone sales. Uh, that said, Apple hasn't, uh, hasn't been the only smartphone selling in China. Obviously, we're well aware of this. There's other players that do bigger numbers, players like Huawei and, and, and so on. But, but still, Apple is one of these companies that has made certain concessions in order to operate in China, uh, concessions that uh, haven't been made by other, other U.S. firms. So that's that's I guess that's a fair thing and possibly worth looking into. Um, that store, by the way, very big and important store. That store in that section has attracted more than 22 million visitors in the 12 years that has been there, and it has grown from 52 staff to 185. So that's a big that's a big deal. It's a big store right there. Mm -hmm. Mega store. You might want to call it a mega store. A landmark. You might want. You might even call it a landmark. Yeah. Some of these stores end up like that. And look, I don't care where you land on, on uh, your uh, uh, political, uh, it, within the political spectrum. That's a nice looking store. It's very cool. So we got to give them that. Uh, Apple to remove and replace non-inclusive language in code base. Oh, boy. I, uh, I saw that headline and I was curious what exactly they were talking about. I'm not a coder. I am not a programmer. Yeah. To be, I mean, beyond 
I built some websites here and there when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of coding. HTML. Yeah, a little bit of that stuff. CSS. And uh, you know, I was uh, I I was closing the brackets around certain things <laughs> once upon a time. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, that's what you would do. Yeah. So I have a little bit of knowledge of it, but I'm certainly not employed doing this. Uh, however, recently there's been increased scrutiny that's being applied to the to some of the most popular terms that exist within programming. Mm. And for the record, it's not just Apple. Of course, this comes on my radar with the Apple headline as well. They're a big company, so them making changes is going to have uh, implications for anybody that works in that realm. The company announced the change in an update to its developer portal on Thursday, saying coding terminology will be modified to remove or replace language that could be perceived as racist from Xcode, platform APIs, documentation, and open source projects. Uh, instead of references to blacklist, whitelist, master branch, master slave, and other potentially insensitive terminology, Apple will implement more neutral language like allow list, deny list, main, which will take the place of master in the default SEM branch in Xcode 12. Uh, so obviously to me, this doesn't mean much, doesn't affect my daily life. I can imagine, and you said this to me earlier, if, you're, if you were a person that lived in this programming space and you were so used to just hammering out these uh, universal terms that had been accepted mm -hmm. within that, within that uh, profession, this could be a, a little bit of an adjustment for you yes. to meet the new criteria for these new terms. Mm -hmm. You got to change, change what you're doing. The updated terminology and other relevant changes have been added to the Apple style guide. Developer APIs with the exclusionary terms will be deprecated as we introduce replacements across internal code bases, public APIs, and open source projects. So they're trying to put the warning out there. Apple's basically saying, learn this stuff, figure it out now. Don't be surprised when you get slapped, when you, when you find out as you go to, I don't know, build your next project, build your next app, or whatever you might be doing. Yeah. Does not compute master. Wrong. <laughs> you know yeah didn't you hear we moved on we don't use it's yeah. all it's brand new and fresh uh so like i said it's it's important to note apple's not the only one i think twitter was considering something similar internally even though i i feel like i read something about jack dorsey saying that but there's yeah. a there's a number of companies considering this type of move to change the language around coding what a time to be alive Twitter says 130 people were targeted in that hack that hijacked accounts, including Elon Musk's, Joe Biden's, Kanye West. We covered this story the other day. Somebody made fun of the way that I pronounced the uh, deceased rapper XXX. Do you know how to correctly pronounce his name? I mean, the next part that say? comes after the X. I tried it two different ways. I said temptation, and then I said tentacion. I, I don't know. Tentation. <laughs> Right, it's T I O N, but it's obviously uh, if I was more, if I was less of a boomer, then I would, I would say it perfectly and smoothly because I would have been a fan, which I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but some people, there's some diehard fans, they so called you out. yeah, they're upset about it. But anyways, he was also hacked, even though he's deceased. And I remember I mentioned to you that's an interesting target. Yeah. And of course, trying to get to the bottom of why the targets were who they were, obviously. In some cases, the billionaires and the popular accounts make a lot of sense. But then you throw in a, a YouTuber and a few rappers, and it, it was hard to know exactly why that group of 130 people were the top priority beyond the fact that they were just strictly popular. There's a lot of popular accounts.
Yeah. Obviously. In fact, Trump's account br brought up a lot of uh, speculation, conspiracy theories as to why his wasn't attacked. And I'll be talking about that actually in the next story. Well, oh, okay. it's a little foreshadowing in the show here. Yeah. The hackers received 100. We, we just have some new details here as well as the fact that we know now that 130 separate people were targeted. The hackers received $121,000. I know you were curious about the total lump sum figure. Yes. Uh, from over 400 payments to three separate Bitcoin addresses. So it wasn't just one wallet. Now, that seems low to me. When you consider the number of people that would have been reached with that message. Yes. 400 payments, that's it? 400 people attempted it. Yeah. I mean, look, 121,000 is 121,000. But 400 payments, well, that comes back to the conversation we were having of how much damage could have been done. Mm-hmm. You really only damaged 400 people. Yeah. And you could have damaged 400 million. Some sort of a... Or 4 billion, depending on what you did yeah. with that power, because it's a tremendous amount of power. Uh, the hack compromised the accounts of several prominent figures in business and politics. The FBI is now actively looking into it. You don't want to be Twitter right now. You got the FBI. Just mm. Come on, Jack. What really happened yeah. here? Tell us the goods. A little good cop, bad cop going on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, they're trying to, it, it looks like the Twitter support handle is the one that's giving people the new information, if there is any. For a small subset of these accounts, the attackers were able to gain control of the accounts and then send tweets from those accounts. So as we spoke about on yesterday's episode, this happened through some kind of admin dashboard. It happened, not an inside job, but it needed access to some insider to be compromised for the thing to, to then take place, whether or not that insider, I'm not suggesting they're part of it, but I'm just saying whatever their knowledge was, right. it had to, since it came through this admin panel and something really interesting, you know, I, I read down through this thing. First of all, here's a quote. These attackers were the equivalent, were the equivalent of stealing a McLaren F1, taking it for a joyride and then crashing it into a telephone pole four minutes later. And that's a way of this, uh, this uh, commenter here, Alex Stamos. He's a former chief security officer at Facebook. That's a way of him saying this had tremendous potential and it, it didn't really end up as nearly as bad as it could have. Mm -hmm. It was just a, sh a short little detour. There's so much more damage that could have been done. But anyway, I keep reading and I'm looking for something here. And I find, uh, I find this piece, it's... Where, where Twitter says, Twitter's quoted as saying, currently we don't believe resetting your password is necessary. You see, and this adds some fuel to the theory that there was limited access that these guys had, that this hacker had to these accounts. If you don't, even have, to, if, if you don't have to change your password, it means they never had the password in the first place, mm -hmm. which means that this dashboard had certain limitations in it that allowed for tweets to be posted, allowed for email addresses on accounts to be changed, but actually didn't change the password itself. Hmm. Very strange. If you think about it, that statement right there equals, it, to me, that's, that gets me going a little bit, huh? So for all, they shut down verified accounts, right? I couldn't tweet on the Unbox Therapy account when it happened. They shut them all down but they're not asking anybody to change their password. So there was no dump of data, no dump of information. Otherwise, they'd have to be telling everybody that could have been compromised to change their password. Mm. So they seem to know maybe even more than what they're putting out 
about exactly what was accessed through these this dashboard. But for those that were suggesting, hey, they could have done some massive blackmail scheme. These are really rich people. Well, imagine what's in their DMs. Mm -hmm. It's possible that that stuff was never accessed. It's possible that that dashboard didn't dive that deeply, mm. didn't grant that much access. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so these, there's many possibilities, but that's just, I read into that a little bit. Mm. So getting to the Trump topic, Trump's Twitter account likely had extra protections. Now, people began to speculate this when they saw that he was one of these big players that was not hacked in that moment alongside all the rest. You had other uh, pre former President Obama. You had Biden. Uh, Joe Biden, yeah. upcoming uh, or current presidential candidate. And then they say, oh, Trump wasn't attacked. What could that mean? Who's yeah. behind this? Conspiracy. Well, more more likely than all the conspiracies, if uh, if people forgive me for not going down the entertainment path, because it would be uh, obviously fun to go down the path of yeah. uh, uh, the conspiracy theories, it's a lot more likely that he just has extra protections in place. And this actually dates back to an event that took place November 2nd, 2017, when a disgruntled Twitter employee upon their last day at the company decided to shut down Trump's Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And it was back up in like 11 minutes. But after that, Dorsey came out and Twitter came out and said, well, we're going to have to do something so this can't happen again. Hmm. And particularly with that account. So even though we would love to have some sort of juicy story where Trump is the is the person hacking the, these various accounts or that there's a, some sort of strong political agenda, it's probably more likely that you need some sort of multi-sign-in to make any modifications to his particular account based on how likely it is to be attacked and how and it, how it could be weaponized. That account, probably above any other account, would have the potential to incite some serious ruckus. I mean, it already is. <laughs> yeah. Trump takes care of that usually on his own in most cases. It's a very popular Twitter account, no matter what gets posted, and it becomes news. His tweets become news on their own. So you can imagine to what which to 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 the degree by which some sort of tweet attempting to incite a particular behavior on his account mm -hmm. would be the worst possible. Yes. Because it would reach far and wide the fastest. CNN would have the thing up, Fox News would have the thing up. It would just be everyone would know about it instantaneously. So it's understandable that his account would have a separate set of rules or the president of the United president. States in yeah, general. That's what I was thinking. That their account would have to have special rules and there's no dashboard and no single admin employee that uh, would, would have the capability to tweet on that account. Yeah, just someone that's currently constantly on the ball. Man, looking at the that'd be some feed. serious responsibility mm -hmm. if that account falls, falls under your jurisdiction. Yeah. Will he do? Watching... Uh, cool. All behaviors on the potential hacks coming in on that account. It's the world depends on you, Will. I know, yeah. That's a lot of pressure. It's uh it's a crazy time right now. And of course, this isn't the end of it. There's gonna be a lot of people, including the FBI, looking into how this stuff, how we proceed from here, given what's taken place. And imagine the internal investigation. Imagine you work at Twitter right now, Will, and the hammer's coming down and people are asking all kinds of questions. Who did you talk to? Let me see, let me look at those emails. Anyone who had any uh, uh, limited access to those dashboards, mm -hmm. they're going to be under the microscope themselves right now. And if it ain't because of your boss, then maybe the FBI microscope is going to come looking for you. Right.
Netflix, they're down a little bit, Well, Now, this might surprise you. We talked earlier about how video games exploding, the at-home culture, the DoorDash, the Uber Eats, the, the, the video streaming, the YouTube of the world, all the things you can do while you're sitting on your couch uh, eating snacks. Yeah. Netflix is one of those things. It's one of the most popular things. Uh, however, they shed $19 billion in market value at least uh, midway through the day today. Maybe you can bring up the stock if you like, since you're the business guy. I know you like to see the most recent numbers. So you can check if it jumped back up or is staying down. Maybe give us a five-day on Netflix. Yeah, it's down. Netflix is down. And there's a couple of reasons. And this is what would suck, Will. If you and I, instead of running this business, if we had to run a business like Netflix, we could post some positive things and the the market could still say, you know what? Not into it. Yeah. It can still happen. So negative. Netflix, uh, they they added 10 million subscribers in the second quarter, boosted revenues by 25%, and earnings per share by 163%. So they're sitting there saying, okay, all right, we're going up. However, investors, on the other hand, they look at other pieces. They look at a thing called, and I had to look this up, they look at a thing called EPS, earnings okay. per share, Dun, dun, dun. They wanted a bigger number there. Oh. And it was below their forecast of $1.81. And therefore, they think that maybe Netflix isn't unstoppable. Mm-hmm. That maybe uh, Netflix has to do more. And maybe the, what, the original content. Maybe the, the competition. Competition, yeah. Man, I'll tell you what. I was watching the Disney thing because I like the National Geographic aspect. Right. And that's on the Disney one. So I've been I watched that a couple of times. I was watching a fishing show on there. I watched the uh, the old Survivor Man guy, not Bear Grylls, the other guy, uh, Les Stroud. Les Stroud. He's yeah. got a bear show on there with the Grizzlies, uh, with the hunting and the Grizzlies, and there and they and and uh, not not the hunting, the Grizzlies hunting, okay. uh, getting fish and, and all the rest of it. Uh, uh, a mother with the two cubs, and the one cub goes missing one day. The one cub goes missing. And he's got the camera. He's like, this is a terrible. Uh, I don't think that cub's not going to stand a chance by itself. Because yeah. a lot of bears out there. And all. The, and, and sometimes the other bears, they don't like your cub very much. You, you understand? That could be food for them. Yeah. It's, a rough, it's a rough go. You're out there. Anyway, so he keeps following his mother and the one cub that's left over. And out of nowhere, a couple of days later, the other cub shows up. And he is skinny. And he's on death's door. And he's bobbing his head and barely walking. Oh, wow. He's in rough shape because he's been on his own and he can't, he doesn't even really know how to hunt yet. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even know how to fish yet. And uh, so, so Les Stroud is saying, mm, sorry to break it to you guys. This guy ain't gonna make it. Turns what? out, turns out that little guy, well, at least up until the point I was at, he makes it. He starts getting the fish. He starts coming back to life. But he was on death's door. Anyways, huh. here I am promoting Disney Plus. You see how that's going? Because <laughs> they got National Geographic. So, not to say that there isn't the nature stuff on Netflix as well. You got the Planet Earth and all the rest of it. But I watched, I've watched some of it already. It's riveting. Anyway, uh, so I think, yeah, I think Netflix is definitely not untouchable. The streaming thing is 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 certainly heating up. And Netflix is a bit pricey compared to some of the other ones because it's been there for a while and they kind of raise the prices. And I think when you look at the type of content that you can even get for free, let's say, and I think maybe people are looking at their bottom line. Maybe people are saying... Uh, 
you know, I can watch YouTube. I can watch, I could watch Lou later. Yeah. And they, so they do that. And then they, they cancel the Netflix subscription. Yeah. Because we get them the hours and the hours of the quality content. Thanks to Willie Dude. Uh, and then, of course, the video gaming piece. Maybe people have enough time now to rekindle their gaming passion and possibly watch a little less Netflix. We're just speculating right now. Yeah. We're just talking. Of course, if they can, if Netflix can deliver better on the EPS, then they might be fine anyway. But for now, they're down a little bit. It's not a huge amount, but they're down a little bit. So it's, it's worth noting they're not untouchable. Nobody is. Mm-hmm. Nothing is. Reliance Geo unveils their new 3D mixed reality Geo Glass. A lot of people sent this to me on Twitter. They wanted me to talk about this, cover this. Uh, it is, this, this Geo story is just incredible. Geo. It's just incredible. The, the number of areas and products and uh, the, versi- the, the diversity and versatility huh. of this brand. Uh, going from a telco to a hardware company... I mean, they're talking, Will. They're talking about getting into groceries, and it's bananas. It's massive. Hmm. Of course, this is the the company under the Reliance brand, which uh, is headed up by Asia's richest man, and they're doubling down on the hardware thing. We talked yesterday about the, the partnership with Google, Google taking a stake in the company. That stake is not a nothing stake, by the way. We're talking over 7% of the company. Yeah. With that money that got thrown around over there. And, and, and so they're going to team up to do hardware. They're going to do an Android device for close to half a billion people in India who are still on feature phones. Mm-hmm. They didn't even get that first Android phone yet. Mm-hmm. Huge market. And this is another hardware product now, which is a mixed reality headset. Similar to something we showcased that Facebook was supposedly working on. It looks like a regular pair of glasses. So it's going to be a little bit more lightweight than your typical, let's say, VR headset. Right. Has a camera in the center. Uh, these these glasses can, can be used for immersive video interaction, for video conferencing, for, I mean, the way they showcase it, it's like spreadsheets are showing up. It looks like an AR component to it. Mm-hmm. But then the space actually looks kind of VR, the office space that they're in. As people are adjusting to this at-home lifestyle, they're looking for these more immersive experiences. And if we learn anything from what's happening with Oculus, people are becoming more willing to strap things to their face when they're at home all the time. Yeah. And I can just imagine like it's not like giant goggles. They're just kind of like sunglasses, really. In fact, GeoGlass, which is the name of this product, is going to weigh 75 grams so that it will sit easily on the ears without any need for any other kind of strap. And apparently won't feel heavy if used for long hours. At least that's what they're telling us now. Hmm. You're going to have to be the judge of that, Will, when you get a pair of these in here. Yeah. Just imagine watching a movie, you know, instead of using your phone. And that's all you need is your phone and <clears throat> maybe these glasses. You're actually, you're actually correct. This is going to come with a cable to co- connect it directly to your smartphone. Oh. So you're not going to need to hook up to like a large gaming PC or something like this, as, as you have with certain headsets in the past. And as we know, the phone is the futuristic operating system. That's the the place where uh, computing has shifted. So this is an interesting play here. It's going to be a hardware product. It's also expected to be far cheaper than some other products that have kind of mimicked it or have been maybe precursors to this product. The Snap Spectacles 
and the Bose frames, uh, both of which were what did they what did they retail for? Around three hundred bucks. Yeah, around there. Around three hundred bucks. So any anyway, these are expected to cost much less than that. Use cases for these include virtual office meetings to present project presentations, support for sharing files, models in 3D and hologram formats. Also, with GeoMeet, the other new Geo product, schools can, can conduct classes with 3D models of popular landmarks, animals, science experiments, and so forth. Imagine every student, oh my God, man, the marketplace is enormous. Uh -huh. if, if Geo can can replicate what they've done in the telco space with with hardware and a lot of these other projects, we're talking about tremendous potential. Now, staying on that topic, can Ambani take on Tencent, Huawei, and Xiaomi? And this, of course, is the, the founder of Geo. Is he the, the founder, the president, the CEO? So increasingly, this technology cold war that we've covered talked about so much on this show between the west and the east between uh well specifically china and all the western markets that they that they have uh previously been intimately involved in whether you're talking about huawei or xiaomi or, or any of the variety of brands yep. xiaomi has had tremendous success i should note in india like a number of other chinese brands but now, with the tension, the world, the Western world, is rapidly looking for alternatives. Mm. That's, the, that's a fact. Whether you agree with it or not, the apprehension and the potential fallout is enough for these enormous Western markets from a GDP perspective to want to replace some of the, some of the tangle the necessary tangle that exists between China and those markets for equipment. Mm. Now, this guy, since he's on the telco side with Geo Reliance, he built out the 4G network there. Now, he's building out the 5G network there, and he's doing it without Huawei. Mm. And so the U.S. and guys like that Pompeo guy are saying, <laughs> they're applauding him, saying, this guy should be our partner. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, the request is coming for India, whether it's through companies like Reliance and, and, and Geo or just in general, to absorb some of that, uh, some of the opportunity that currently exists in the Chinese market for be, be essentially being the world's manufacturer of goods. Yes. So we are kind of, we're at the, we're on the ground floor here of potentially a major transition taking mm -hmm. place. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in between there because you have to believe these other enormous companies aren't going to be so cool with that. Yeah, they're just not going to lay over. They're not going to just say, oh, yeah, that's fine. We're going to stop supplying these goods. They're going to put up a fight, whatever they can possibly. But what we've been covering in the last couple of days is no joke as far as the Western investments in Reliance. I mean, we just added Google to the list yesterday. We've already got Facebook in there. Amazon has invested over $5 billion in India, specifically. This company and Bonnie's companies are looking at diversifying into almost every realm. If their equipment goes well, there's going to be a tremendous demand for it. Yes. 
because everyone's looking for this alternative to Huawei and others. It's, a, it's incredible. They, they Look at this reference point. And Bonnie's four-year-old geo-platforms has indigenously built its own 5G technology. The, tyc- the tycoon announced... I, man, when do you get to say tycoon? What tycoon. a word. I love that word. The tycoon announced at Wednesday's annual general meeting of his flagship Reliance Industries Limited. After testing it on the 400 million 4G customers he has in India, he'll offer it to other markets. It has been dubbed the Huawei killer, as noted by U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who, who also praised Geo as a clean network for not using the Chinese firm's gear. Holy moly. Well, it's big stuff. I'm telling you, it's big stuff. Yeah, it's heating up. It's big stuff. It's big words. And as we already know, there's a shared border between China and India. I'm not suggesting, and I'm just saying there was the conflict over there. I'm not suggesting that necessarily the two things had to go hand in hand. The way I look at it is competition is competition. Yes. That's the way I look at it. And and if if you have a, a better product and better terms, and if you feel more comfortable buying that product from one place, that's 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 really your business. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it does get cloudy when you talk about sanctions and ways in which politics the, the yeah. politicization is that a word? <laughs> you know, the, do you understand what I'm saying though? I hear you. Yeah. If you turn it into a political matter, you can kind of skew the marketplace so it isn't necessarily operating as freely. Yes. Which is what we're seeing right now. But huge opportunity for India. Nobody can deny it. This is actually a, a, a pretty cool write-up here on some of those tactics, some of the agenda for Geo and the future of India. It's A lot of it's covered in there. It's a big deal for the whole world, not just for India. Android and iOS will soon get 117 new emoji. I know you're very excited about this, Will. Oh, you can't wait to use the bubble tea emoji. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't wait to use that because we just had a bubble tea. Oh yeah. A couple minutes ago. Shout out to Vin. He brought the uh, exclusive uh, bubble tea to us. Oh, you're not even finished. Oh, you're you're yeah, basically the goncha. Yeah, you're basically finished. Yeah. You couldn't resist. Uh so there's a couple of other ones. Both iOS and Android are gonna be getting these. It's not just fun and games, it's not just about new ones like bubble tea or the ninja. It's also about changing some emojis so they're more effective. Oh, hold on here. Is this uh, it offensive here? With the uh... I think that could be perceived as offensive, yeah. <laughs> but it is just a hand gesture, so I guess it's up to you what you do. I don't even know what the last one is over there. I don't know what that means. I can imagine. I'm guessing. It's not binary kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I should have known. I apologize. <laughs> Google said some of its past animal emoji have been redesigned in some cases to look friendlier. So Google's trying to look uh, friendlier. And then also in other cases, they're trying to make their emoji work better in dark mode. Since dark mode is such a hot uh, choice right now, Mm -hmm. both on iOS and Android, that a lot of the emoji didn't translate all that well. So they also made adjustments there. So it's not just new emojis, a new approach to emoji. A Google presentation to developers earlier this month seemed to suggest that it could be September 8th, but Google didn't provide confirmation. Last year's release of Android 10 was at the beginning of September, and Apple is expected to release iOS 14 in the fall. So anyway, we got a, a bunch of new emoji ahead of World Emoji Day. I didn't even you don't even you didn't even know there was a day for that. No clue. But uh, you have what do you have? You have two people hugging. That's new. A man in a veil. A woman in a tuxedo and a person feeding a baby. You got all the choices in the world. Well, whatever you, whatever type of 
thing you need to send out in emoji form, you can do it, Will. You're right. no longer restricted. You're no longer confined. Not They've removed down. the bars from your cage. Sweet. Of emoji choices. Hmm. Whatever you need. Chevrolet announces a new electric full-size pickup with a 400-mile range. We don't know much about it. It's very cryptic. It actually showed up in some kind of a report here. Where, where was it? Yeah, the 2019 Sustainability Report it, that was published this month. 179 pages. So, of course, a site like Autoblog, they go read through all the pages and they look for the secret stuff that's in there that people might want to know about. So this is no surprise to me because obviously GM is the is working on the Hummer as we talked about the electric Hummer. They teased it at the Super Bowl. They're going to put some marketing money behind it. They want to have their own uh, electric vehicle play in the truck area. And if you know about GM or a lot of the American brands, they build platforms and then they build a number of cars on that platform. So it's not really surprising to me. I'm not saying, I, I don't know for certain that the Hummer platform will share very much with the GM truck platform, but I can assume there could be some shared pieces in there, in which case it makes sense that you could see an electric Silverado, for example, from Chevy or uh, the Sierra for the people who are looking for the more low-key type of electric truck. But then I'm reading through this article and I saw something else kind of interesting. I looked down and talks a, a little bit more about their future plans, and they got a vehicle called the Celestic or Celestique. And this is an ultra-premium Cadillac sedan. Ultra-luxurious luxur flagship model that would be assembled by hand in extremely limited numbers. Cadillac predicts it will manufacture 1.2 vehicles daily, and insiders have hinted that the sedan may carry a price of over $200,000 which would make it the most expensive regular production car manufactured in the United States. This one slipped under under the rug for me. Ha made an electric vehicle made by hand, like the old school Cadillacs. Yeah. Super luxury status. I was thinking uh Rolls-Royce, do they do hand? Yeah, Rolls-Royce by hand. S something like that. Yeah. Really yeah, yeah, well that's how you get those crazy price tags. Yeah. Because it's just they're not very making them... Very custom, too. Very custom, too. Yeah. They may let you have an experience online map, uh, making your choices for textures and threads and who knows what. Yes. So, anyway, I feel like you better prepare yourself, Will, because you, like, you might look good in something like that. Yeah, I'll get to. Fully custom, electric, Cadillac, Celestique, or Celestic, I don't know. It's probably going to have... With a name like that, you feel like it, it, they could steal the Rolls-Royce uh, stars on the... Oh, right, yeah. Or is that... That's Rolls-Royce, right? Yep, yep. You really wanted to talk about this one. Black Magic unveils a 12K raw video camera. Sheesh. People don't understand those pixels. No. It's hard to comprehend. It's 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 far off. It's it's a far off idea that you would ever watch a piece of 12K content. I'm not saying it'll never happen because why not? People run out of things. 8K it's, it looks like it's going to happen. And, and once upon a time, that seemed outlandish. Mm -hmm. But this camera is more about, ju just to uh, break it down here, it's more about having the opportunity to reframe your shot. You have so much resolution yes. that if your eventual output is 4K, you can pull within your editing software the frame wherever you want and still have plenty of pixels to get a 4K frame out of it because you're mm -hmm. starting with 12K. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I mean, or 8K for that matter, if you want to shoot 8K content. Black Magic is has been has had a history of putting out high resolution cameras without a high resolution price. <laughs> anyway, it's no different with this one. They're gonna retail it for ten thousand bucks. It will have an effective resolution of twelve thousand two hundred and eighty-eight by six thousand four hundred and eighty. And that's going to be a super 35 sensor. So for camera nerds out there, it's important to note that there are bigger sensors out there. This is not a full frame sensor, even though it'll be tightly pixel packed. So it may not be the best in low light. Granted, I'm just guessing looking at the spec list here. It will have 14 stops of dynamic range, a native ISO of 800. It'll also be capable of 4K RAW up to 110 FPS, FPS without cropping the sensor. So if you want that slow motion stuff, it can do that too. Mm. Now they say this is going to be popular. Having this versatile 12K footage, you can do color keying, compositing, reframing, stabilization, or tracking in 4K or 8K. I think a lot of YouTubers are going to be looking at this thing, you know, because some of the some of that high end camera equipment can be pricey, and a lot of people over here are addicted to pixels yes. as well and and love the flexibility of reframing after the fact i have to say it kind of piqued my interest a little bit hmm. of course it's not going to be out for a little while pre-orders have gone in though i did see on twitter it looks like linus ordered five of them so i told you man youtubers are going to be paying attention to this thing but i hear everybody else in the comments that's screaming 12k what do you need relax no 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 Speaking of 12K, here is the opposite of 12K. Beetle mounted camera streams insect adventures. I picked this one for you. Oh, wow. Yeah, you like this kind of thing. I like beetle adventures. Imagine what this beetle might get up to on his little body mounted camera there. It's hilarious. Look at the battery wrapped up. It's so tiny and it has to be so light because he's just a beetle. Yeah. He's just a beetle at the end of the day. The team at the University of Washington in the U.S. drew inspiration from the insect, the beetle, to create its own low-powered camera system. The beetle cam can stream up to five frames per second of low resolution, mm. black and white footage to a nearby smartphone. So definitely not, he's not, he's not, uh, it ain't no black magic camera that he's carrying around. If a beetle could carry a black magic, I'd hire him right now. Yeah, oh yeah. That'd be incredible. The entire camera rig weighs just 250 milligrams, which is a tenth the weight of a playing card. Hmm. Think about that for a second. That's a lightweight camera setup. Look at the wires. They're tiny. Tiny wires. Oh. Tiny beetle. Well, you can see the pliers there. Oh, yeah. I mean, just how small a beetle is. It makes a beetle feel big when you see it in an image like this. But, of course, imagine a little beetle on a yeah, desk, yeah. how small those components actually have to be. The camera's capable of 160 by 120 pixels. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who cares, man? It's fun. It's I always want to know what life like a beetle is like, you know? Honey, I shrunk the kids. That's a throwback when yeah, I was yeah, a kid. Yeah. Uh, it allows the camera to look side to side and scan the environment, just like a beetle. And it can create a higher resolution image in a panoramic type of setting. But anyways, I thought this was pretty cool. Wanted to bring it to your attention. Just when you thought you'd seen it all, Will, I give, yeah. you, I give you the beetle cam. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about ice cream? I like ice cream. You you you'll go for ice cream. We got Kirk's attention with the ice cream. Who doesn't? Unless they're lactose. Okay, so you got the lactose. 
Um, Unless they're lactose. But I just feel like there's a range to how much a person likes ice cream. You see, you might be right that everybody or a lot of people like ice cream, but there's a range to how much you like ice cream. So where's your range on a scale of one to 10? I would say a solid seven. A seven? I'm not a sweet tooth guy. So Okay. You know you could get salty ice cream is a new thing now. Yeah. Salted yeah. caramel. Kind yeah. Of you can get a salty ice cream as well if you're into it. Uh, I'm big on the ice cream thing. In fact, I've been on record. As saying, if the alien visits Earth, they should try. And first. he only gets to try one food. I would hit him with the ice cream because of the melting characteristic. Yeah. You see, what's interesting to me about ice cream, yeah, is the flavor is really just a small part of it. To me, now okay. this article is all about flavors, okay. and I, I got nothing against flavors. I like flavor, but what's special about ice cream is the melting characteristic. There's so few foods that you eat that start out in one form, hit your tongue and become another. That's an experience. Yeah. From solid to liquid because of your involvement as a heated human being. Mm -hmm. This is sophisticated stuff, ice cream. It's a, it's a whole texture thing as well. Huge. You know? It's huge. And that's sort of where I'm at because I never, I haven't yet met an ice cream flavor I didn't like. However, some states in the United States are into some pretty strange flavors. Hmm. So... Google shared some insights into Americans' frozen treat preferences ahead of National Ice Cream Day, which is on Sunday, so pick up some ice cream. Okay. Yeah. And these preferences are not the most popular flavors, period, but they're the most popular unusual flavors in a particular region. You follow me on that? Mm. Interesting. Sunday marks National Ice Cream Day, and to mark the occasion, Google released some interesting search trends data about the beloved frozen treat. They compile a list of the most uniquely searched ice cream flavors in each state. Alabama, peach. Alaska, peach. Arkansas, peach. Georgia, peach. Have you ever had peach ice cream in your life? No. No. I feel like know. we're missing out. Georgia, peach. Um, now, I'll give you a couple of other ones. Okay. D.C., Picks butter pecan. Colorado picks vanilla, which I don't know. That's not an unusual flavor. Mm. Iowa, Rocky Road. Maryland, banana. Massachusetts, cookie monster. Is that like cookies and cream? I, I would assume so. Mm. So anyway, this got me thinking, Will, that I should ask you what your favorite ice cream flavor is. But you can't pick a like a major one. <laughs> no peach. <laughs> You can't pick peach. You never tried peach. Yeah. What's um, your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, I I do like uh, cherry Garcia. Cherry Garcia. That's a Ben yeah. and Jerry's. Yeah, yeah. That's cherry and chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Chocolate bits. Yeah, it's a great time. Yeah. But again, I'm a bad guy to ask because I never bumped into a flavor I didn't like. And if you give me a Ben and Jerry's, it's no problem. I'll take anyone. Yeah. Well, what's? You don't like Tiger Tail? Okay. First of all, I feel like I'm lacking exposure to Tiger Tail because my brother, the last time this topic came up, said the exact same thing to me. He's like, what about Tiger Tail? Okay, so Kirk thinks Tiger Tail is disgusting. I don't remember the last time I have it. I bet you I would be fine with it. What is it? It has black licorice in it? I feel like I'd be fine. I feel like I'd be fine with Tiger Tail, but... I understand where you're coming from. It's fair. Canadian. Black licorice is a flavor 
that is very polarizing. How, where do you land on licorice, Will? Uh, not a fan. Okay. Well, see? I like red licorice. No, that's not licorice. <laughs> that's just candy. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I'm fine with that, sugar. too. I'm fine with that, too. Um, black licorice, no. Yeah, it's a potent, it's a potent flavor. In fact, I have uh, some relatives from the Netherlands, and they love the licorice there, and they bring the real potent stuff, and it'll, it'll clear your nostrils. Yeah. Yeah, some real deal stuff. Oh. It's a potent flavor. So, shout out. Shout out to licorice. And, of course, ice cream. Well, what's your favorite? What's your go-to? Oh, that's rude. That's a rude question. Um, what has been showing up in my house? Has Ben & Jerry's flavor been showing up in my house recently? Which is a, a chocolate with some almonds in it. Okay. I like a chocolate base. You know what? When I was a kid, I used to like pralines and cream. Oh, okay. If I go to Baskin Robbins, I like world-class chocolate, which is a special texture. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't have a favorite. You see what I'm doing here? Oh, jeez. Just pick one. Maple? Anything maple? Have you ever had maple ice cream? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's something. So, I'm not going to pick a favorite. All right, fine. Peach. This next one. Coin shortage prompts bank to pay you for spare change. It's never happened before. Can you imagine that, Will? A coin shortage. Oh. Do you even know what that means? I guess it's a shortage of coins. Like, we don't have any more coins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a coin. It's a, where, it, where did they all go? It's a literal coin shortage. People hoarding the coin because they're not out exchanging cash. Oh. Normally, coins are coming back because the stores are receiving cash, making change, getting change from right. the... Receiving change, bringing change to the bank. Oh. None of that's going on. So it's a, it's a coin shortage with the lockdown. And it's such a shortage that uh, banks, community banks, are actually paying people extra for their change. Your change is more valuable now than the actual face value of it. Should get my piggy bank. Yeah, if you're saving up coins, man, you got to head down here. Where is this? This is Milwaukee. Head down to Milwaukee, bring your change, and, uh, and catch an upgrade. It's $5 extra for every $100 worth of coin brought in. Hmm. Here's the example they give. If you bring in 218 in coin, they'll give you 228 back. Oh. That's not bad. You just need a million dollars in coin, Will. Oh. oh, you get a nice little increase there. <laughs> they probably have a limit to it. Uh, but this is a nice little community story where they were like, hey, we're going to have to buy this somehow. Yeah. And we might as well give it back to the local community here as opposed to buy it from the from the Fed. That's what they say in the article. So mm. anyway, this was news to me, coin shortage. And it got me thinking about the last time I used a coin or had a coin. Mm. <laughs> I haven't had a coin in <laughs> months, years. I don't, I don't know the last time I had or used a coin. Do you hoard them though? No, I have no <laughs> coins. I don't know where all the coins are. I'm tapping on the phone, and worst case scenario, I'm tapping the card. Right. So. Yeah. Same here. Where's the coins? When's the last time you used a coin in a store or a bank or anything? Years. It's been a while, hasn't Years. it? It's a crazy thought, man. The coin is over. U.S. Marshals are auctioning a seized Batmobile. The replica was seized from a convicted Medicare fraudster, Ryan Sheridan. 
It's a legit Batmobile. So I think that one's actually different than the one that was seized in this case. I don't know why oh, that video. That? Oh, yeah, no. if you scroll down a little bit, it's the older, the older school Batmobile, which was the Tim Burton Batmobile. Oh, that's even cooler. You remember that that's one? Old school. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the U.S. Marshals Service is auctioning a replica of the Batmobile along with two other famous movie mobile lookalikes. They were seized from Ryan Sheridan. This guy's convicted for fraud. And uh, he owes $24 million in restitution. So they're trying to make up for it by auctioning off his crazy car collection, which, as you can tell, is pretty crazy. It includes that replica. Scroll down a little further. You got the Ghostbusters replica. Oh. This guy had a real collection going on. The Ecto. And you go down a little further, and he's got the Back to the Future as well. Oh, wow. So if you got a hot movie car, he'll take it off your hands uh which one of those would you go for if you uh, if you were going to drive around one of that group there oh it's got to be the Batmobile. you would take Although the bat this one's damaged doesn't it look like it's uh no i think it's just a certain look to it like oh okay those components are i don't remember the original had that or not but it looks like they're they're sort of props that are meant to be there man imagine pulling up imagine you're on a 401 with that thing right there <laughs> it's parallel park <laughs> oh man you're gonna catch some eyes yeah uh, I agree with you. I would go for that one. If you scroll down a little further, you can see the interior of that Batmobile. It's got all the gauges and switches. It, it, a real cool. replica of the movie vehicle. Um, uh, you've got Michael Keaton. Yeah. you got Kim Basinger. you got got uh, Tim Burton. Yeah. It's bringing it all back. You have a vehicle like that. So this apparently isn't the first time that a Batmobile has been seized. You scroll down to the next one. Someone was rolling around in that one in Moscow. I didn't even recognize this Batmobile because it was the Ben Affleck Batmobile. When oh, right. Ben yeah. Affleck was Batman. He had a, it's a pretty cool looking Batmobile. It's just I don't that particular uh, movie I guess didn't get very, as much attention from me. Mm -hmm. That one is apparently worth eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and and that one was seized in Moscow because it wasn't street legal. That's <laughs> <laughs> just riding around. Man, you roll up, you roll up to a party in that, and you say nothing. You're like, what? The car? What? No big deal. Crazy times. Anyways, that's it. We covered it all. We fit it all in. We break it down for you. We squash it down. We squeeze it out so you get to drink the juice. 